Coming up, football, football, football. That's next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Get ready to level up your adventures with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes with all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. New rewatchables coming on Monday night. Me and Chris Ryan and a very special guest. And I'll tell you the movie. You'll probably figure it out anyway, because you know it's coming out. But we're doing The Equalizer, the first one. So very fun movie to discuss, especially with our special guest. So that's happening. Hope you checked out our new election podcast. It's called Somebody's Gotta Win with Tara Palmieri. We also have a podcast we're going to be announcing on Tuesday, I think, that is going to be a big deal. I'm just telling you. Hold on to your seats on Tuesday for this podcast that's going to be announced. Um, Mike Lombardi is going to come on to talk lots of football stuff. We're going to talk about Trey Lance and the craziest trades that didn't work out in recent football history, but uh, a perspective you haven't heard yet. And then we're going to talk about the teams with plus odds to make the playoffs that might actually make the playoffs. We're going to deep dive that. And then we're going to talk about Lombardi's book, which is excellent. And it's a football podcast. So we're not going to talk about the world cup. We're not going to talk about France is already out. We're not going to talk about Canada. Who's looking like the sleeping giant in this whole thing. It looks like Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to be the best player in this tournament. Whether that means SGA can bring Canada to actually beat the U.S. and everybody else and win the title. We'll see. But this is a pretty interesting moment for him because, you know, he's first team on NBA. But I don't, you know, he's playing on OKC. They made the playing game. Um, I'm not sure everyone realizes how good he is. They might realize as they're watching the World Cup and he's going toe-to-toe with the Americans. But just in general, watching how great he's been in the, in the, the Cup so far, um, I do feel like OKC is kind of having a moment right now where they got to realize this can't be like a five, seven year process. We have one of the best guards in the world now, and we might be ready to challenge a little sooner than maybe people give us credit for. I'll be interested to see how they approach that moment. I think be careful about it. Are they going to dive into it? What are they going to do? But anyway, we'll see how he does in the world cup. I love this World Cup. I love watching the games. I love the speed of it. I loved watching Lafayette come behind against France today. Really fun. Uh, I think all the games here are on ESPN Plus, so pretty easy, if, even if you missed it, to just go back and, and check those out. So, um, yeah. 
World Cup. And then the Mookie Betts thing is the other thing that's on the top of my mind before we get to Lombardi. You know, one of the, one of the most traumatic transactions of my lifetime, I think it's actually the worst Boston sports trade of my lifetime. And you've heard me talk about it on this podcast many times. I think what's amazing about it is that they actually psyched themselves out with the long-term, it would have been 10 years, 400 million, whatever it was. And they just got scared. And I actually think they overthought it, the Red Sox, the owners in the front office, because they looked at all this data and they've talked about, I think Heim Bloom's actually talked about this, about offensive players in baseball in their 30s tailing off. And tailing off because you know, either their power peaked in their 20s or maybe they started breaking down from injuries or whatever. And there's a lot of examples about this. And I actually agree with this logic. If it's like a first baseman or, you know, a corner outfielder, you know, Albert Bell was a famous one. I, I see it. I totally get it. I think what where they whiffed and where they whiffed in a way that's kind of crazy if you'd actually just watch Mookie Betts play week after week is this guy was one of the most unique and extraordinary and special athletes in the history of Boston sports and was probably the safest bet to go into his thirties and be just as good year after year after year, which is basically what's going to happen here. He is probably the MVP. I think he's the MVP favorite today because after he lit up Boston Saturday and Sunday, it's him versus Acuna. Uh, he would become the second player ever to win the MVP in both leagues. Frank Robinson was the other one. That was one of those records that you just thought it was going to be Frank Robinson and that's it. And look, I don't watch the National League that much. I'll be the first one to admit it. I do watch some of the Dodgers when they're on flipping channels because they're on at night here. This, the MVP case for Mookie beyond the crazy stats would be he is like this defensive Swiss Army knife where I went to a game he was playing short. You know, he's playing second this weekend. He could play center field. He could play right field. You can basically put him anywhere. So he's so malleable defensively and so elite wherever you put him that it allows you to create all these lineups around him. There's no other player in baseball like this. And of course, the Red Sox never really tapped into it, but I can't even think of another baseball example of somebody who was like this. Like, it, you know, when I was growing up, we had John Havlicek on the Celtics and he was a guard or a forward, depending on what the team needed. And that was, he had this awesome career. He's one of the best 20 players of all time. And he made All-NBA as a forward. He made it as a guard. And when he played forward, he was a legitimate forward. He was like a Rick Barry, Larry Bird used that way. But then he could also play guard too. And the Celtics over the years would kind of morph the team around the fact that he had the ability to play these two pretty different positions at the time at the highest, highest elite level. And that's one of the things that made him really special. And that's the thing with Mookie too. You know, Mookie came up as a second baseman, became an outfielder, and um, is just the lead at everything he does. Uh, and he's such a special guy too. It's just, this weekend really hurt. I gotta be honest. I, you know, I'm older now, but, uh, I still love sports. I feel like I love sports just about as much as I ever did. I love my teams. Um, I love sharing with my friends and my family. My dad was here this weekend. We watched some Dodger Red Sox stuff. And it was just like, this is a guy that just should have been in my life for 20 years. Uh, I really feel robbed by the whole thing. It's a bummer. I'm happy for the Dodger fans that they, that somebody that a really good fan base gets them. But at the same time, this was just awful, really awful. And when you think like, it's not like they 
um, didn't spend the money on other guys. Like they, the money that should have gone to Mookie eventually just went to Chris Sale and Trevor Story, you know? Um, just one of the strangest, weirdest, goofiest fuck-ups I can ever remember in sports. So uh, I don't think I've fully gotten over it and I don't think I've really liked baseball as much since. We'll see when Marcelo Mayer comes up. I'm sure he'll hit two homers and I'll be 100% back. But it's it's just really a bummer. And uh, we're about to talk about another one of the biggest mistakes, the Trey Lance trade, and a whole bunch more with Michael Lombardi in one second. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this late Sunday afternoon, East Coast time. Michael Lombardi is here. He has been on this podcast and on the old ESPN podcast many times. We're going to talk a lot of football stuff. He has a new book coming out that we're going to talk about. I'm going to start with the uh, the Trey Lance trade, which really went badly for San Francisco. But we, I was thinking about it in the context of these what-if trades when a team is really close to winning a title and there can be this what-if moment that can either push them one direction or the other, right? And you think like they had the 12th pick in that amazing draft and then I'm getting nothing out of it. But yet when I was doing all my rankings for the season this year, they have the most talent in the league. Yeah. So they, they whiffed on that trade and still have the most talent in the league. What if you just cherry-picked anybody else from that top 12 and put them in there? It's just, it's kind of amazing how it worked out, right? I still think they have a chance to win the NFC. They do. I mean, look, they finally, you know, other than, you know, Kyle had, uh, when he went there, he had Brian Hoyer. That didn't work. Trades for Garoppolo, that worked. And then, you know, CJ Beathard, Nick Mullins, none of those guys work. And now Purdy worked. And so, yeah, I mean, they've collected this. They've done a really good job of collecting talent around their defense, the skilled players getting Samuel, you know, trade for McCaffrey. I mean, they've done a really good job other than they missed, they whiffed on this one. And I think they got overextended. They kept convincing themselves they had to change the offense when really in reality, McCaffrey trade changed their offense. They became positionless on offense. Samuel's a running back. No, he's a receiver. McCaffrey's a receiver. No, he's a running back. That changed their offense, not Trey Lance. I think they misjudged that, but they're good enough to recover. That's a good organization that does that. Yeah, I was trying to think other teams that could whiff on this and still win a championship. So obviously my mind went to the NBA because that's the sport I can remember the best. The Detroit Pistons, yeah, they have that Darko pick and they miss it, right? And yeah. Carmelo and Wade and Bosh are the next three picks. They could add any of them and added them to the team. And they, a little bit like the Niners, got a little cute. And they were thinking, well, we already have Tayshaun Prince. We don't need the, another wing guy. Let's, let's hit a home run here. Yeah, Darko. Oh, his game. Oh, my God. He had this amazing workout. Like Darko and Trey Lance, there's a lot of similarities to, oh, my God, this won't be a home run pick. This will be a grand slam pick if we add him. And they whiff it, and they still won in 04. And then yeah. they had a really nice four-year run. But then you look and you think, like, man, if they had gotten Carmelo, it's different. I, I, I think the biggest mistake we make in scouting is we just have this ability to project a player that there's no evidence that it's there. You know, it's like a baseball player. You know, we're going to go from a wooden bat, aluminum bat to a wooden bat, and he's going to increase his power. Like, that's not going to happen. We know it's going to decrease. And so when, you know, this Lance thing, he never played. 
I mean, I can still remember we drafted Terrence Flagler in the first round in San Francisco in 1985, and he was a disaster. And after the pick, and we found out about Flagler, the running back, Walsh said to me, he said, you know, you can't take these guys that don't play and look forward. You got to take these guys that don't play and look back. That, that was my thought on Mitchell Trubisky, one-year player, Mr. Ohio in the state of Ohio, right? But they don't doesn't get recruited to go to Ohio State. At quarterback, he gets recruited to play free safety. He's got to go to North Carolina where he doesn't play. Trey Lance, University of Minnesota, says, we'll take you, but an athlete, not as a quarterback. And then he goes to North Dakota State and he plays, but is that really playing at the highest level? I think these one-year sensations, whether and where you don't see them and you're projecting them like, like Darko and all those guys, you make mistakes on them and you and you convince yourself through your own bias, oh yeah, he's going to be good, he's going to be good, he's going to be good, when it, it, there's no evidence that says he's going to be good. Those workouts are tough. I mean, there's so many ways a draft can go wrong. Like even in your book, you wrote about when you guys passed on Warren Sapp in 95 because yeah. you had bad intel about off off the field stuff with him. You know, not taking him, and he becomes one of the best 50 players of all, all time. Player. Marino's yeah. another one where, you know, and that's been pretty famously chronicled. So you have off-field whisper stuff can be one thing, and then the flip side of that where, you know, the right workout, and you see somebody. I remember Yi Jin Lan, during the uh, Duran Odin draft, Yi Jin Lan, like, posting up the chairs and being like, oh, look at this guy. It's like, can we see this guy play basketball? And these scouts can just fall in love with the idea of something versus what the evidence actually is, right? Right. Well, you know, I'm, you know, the life of a Sixer fan. Oh, Sean Bradley, we see, you know, and I know he's not hurt right now. I mean, unfortunately, but oh, yeah. he's going to be great. Okay. Markel Fultz. I mean, literally, he came in and worked out and they said it was a horrendous workout, but we're going to overlook that and pick him first overall in the draft. I mean, sometimes our bias just gets in the way of it. I wish I could live my life again and remind myself in the draft room, you have bias, you have bias, you have bias. You're making a mistake. You're screwing this thing up because you want it to be this way and it's not. I think that what made that Trey Lance, there's been a lot of bad football trades over the years, right? Even when you think of what Denver actually traded for John Elway, who everybody knew was like a potential right. generational quarterback. And they gave up Chris Hinton, another first. And like you look back and it's like 20 cents on the dollar for this guy who becomes this amazing guy. But I think the thing that was really weird about the Trey Lance thing, and I never understood it. I remember talking about it on time on my podcast. You certainly talked about it on yours. Is they traded up not knowing what they were going to do. Right. And I don't remember that situation before. Like, even when the Bears traded up for Trubisky, and they didn't trade up that much. They moved up one spot. They gave up a third and some other stuff. But what was more galling about that was that Mahomes and Watson were in that draft, and they just completely miscalculated it. This Niners thing was so different because it was such a great draft. There was a real chance somebody might fall down to them anyway. And when you move up like that, you kind of have to know what you're doing. And it didn't seem like they did. And you've talked a lot about on your pod about you felt like Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. And then they spent the next couple months basically convincing him that Trey Lance was the guy. But how do you trade up to a spot and give up all that capital and not know what you're going to do? Well, see, I think they did. I think he was in Cabo. He watched Mac Mac Jones. He felt like, oh, this guy, the, the Patriots are going to pick this guy. We got to get in front of the Patriots to get him. They already were in front of the Patriots at 12, but he felt they were going to trade up. And I think his front office, Adam Peters, John Lynch said, no, 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 no. And, and it was all over Twitter. You can't trade up for Mac Jones. He's not athletic enough. He's not good enough. 
Trey Lance yeah. you have to trade up for. That's who you have to trade up for. And look, I think this will go down. There's probably going to be a, a whole COVID-19 mistake world that we all lived in, right? You know, this was, you didn't, nobody was on the road. Nobody saw them. I mean, the high school rankings in COVID-19 uh, were all messed up too. The te- colleges that got high rankings on their- on You're their, talking 2020, not 19, right? Yeah. 2020, yeah. COVID-19, yeah. I called it, you know, whatever that is. But so they, they just, I think they just miscalculated and they convinced themselves. I can't remember. I sent Kyle a text and I said, look, I'm going to tell you a story. You know, in 1986, we're getting ready to trade for Steve Young. And he, Bill Walsh walked in the room and asked everybody in the room, Mike Holmgren, everybody, Bob McKittrick, Ray Rhodes, Bill McPherson, George Seifert, all these legendary coaches, would you trade for, for Steve Young? And not a hand went up. Now, a lot of them were partial to Joe Montana, Jesus. right? They, they wanted Joe, right? And Bill walks out of the room and he says to me, go pick up Steve Young at the airport. I'm not listening to them. Sometimes you got to do what you believe is the right thing to do. And you're the only one who knows the right thing to do. You know, I say this all the time. They've never dedicated a monument to a committee. When, you have to, when you're asking a lot of people's opinions, you're going to end up diluting your opinion and you're going to make a bad decision. I'm not saying Kyle's got all the answers, but when it comes to the quarterback position, he knows. And I think he let himself down. He took the heat for it. He stood in front of him and said, hey, look, it's on me. I get that. But under behind the scenes, Christopher Sims and I both knew what was going on there. And we both were saying it. Now, we were getting killed on Twitter, certainly. But I think that's what happened. And I think it's another lesson for any decision maker out there. You got to really limit the p- amount of people you evaluate the evaluators. I think sports and television work very similarly in that respect. Because you think like uh, the great shows, right? David Chase. Yeah. Your favorite show, The Sopranos, one of my top three. You're, I mean, you're like a, you're almost psychotic with The Sopranos. Like you can <laughs> compare any situation to a Sopranos episode. It it's really, it's, I don't know how you do it. It's really amazing. But David Chase wasn't coming up with like the season three season finale. Is like, let me let me pull my group of nine HBO executives and eleven people in the writers' room and try to decide what I'm going to do with these three storylines. Like ultimately, like it's his vision. He's doing it. He had like one or two people that he bounced stuff off. That's it. And in sports, that seems like the most successful model. The more that people come in and oh, the owner's got some ideas. Oh, the owner's got a son. He wants to get into player personnel yeah. stuff. So now these two are in. The head coach is in. Oh wait, the defensive coordinator has to be involved. He's he. His buddy coached this guy in college, and now you got nine people in there, and that's where it falls apart, right? Right, yeah. I mean, Orson Welles talked about this. They asked him, how did he get so much authority to make Citizen Kane? Because he, when he made Citizen Kane, he didn't have to show the dailies to the executives. He didn't have to get approval. He got all the authority to make Citizen Kane without any, any interruption from RK Studios. And the reason he got it is he kept saying no to him. I don't want to do it. And they kept pressuring him. And when he finally made it, they had to accept what he made. And I think there's a lot to that. Like you get too many people interjecting their opinions. It all of a sudden that you there's doubt that builds in there. And so he was able to make a movie that's maybe the greatest movie of all time. I don't know. Right. So it's in the top 20. And because he was able to get away, it's the same thing with trades. When you can just focus on, I don't think Pat Riley or Jerry West with the great NBA general managers, I don't think they listen to very many people. I think they make their decisions based on their instincts, having played the game, having been a part of it and understanding it. So when you were in Cleveland, how many people 
in the Belichick era? How many people are in that room? So there, well, there were a lot. You know, we had well, we had Dave, we had the Modell family. Art Modell would always listen to the newspapers. You know that that day right. of the sack draft, he wanted to draft Tyrone Wheatley because the barber told him Wheatley was going to be a great player. <laughs> George. <laughs> George the Barber. I love George the Barber. He was yeah. great. You know, he's an Italian guy, you know, and I, I made sure that I always talked to George. But, you know, we screwed that up. I screwed that up because we didn't have enough data on SAP. We were told it was going to go bad and it and it was wrong. Now, maybe we got lied to. Maybe we got conned because three picks later he goes. So yeah. and we and we had a great opportunity to make that draft still work. And we were sitting there between Curtis Martin and you know, and, and another player and Craig Powell. And we just said, okay, we can get another, we'll get, we'll get them later. And we, of course we didn't get them. So that that's all on us. But what happens is when you get too many people saying, this is what you have to do. All of a sudden you don't have the conviction that you need. You know, not to compare 30 for 30 to Citizen Kane, but after I came up with the idea and I started developing it with Connor Shell, nobody at ESPN thought it was going to happen. Right. And we got left alone for basically like a year. Right. And we developed the whole thing and and then talked to all these people and nobody blocked us or got involved or anything because it it just was assumed it was going to get killed and never happened. And by the time we finally had the meeting where we had to pitch it, everybody, we had every single piece figured out and there was no way for anyone to mess with it. And I just felt like if there had been a couple people at any point in that first nine months, it probably goes a different way and things get screwed up. So, you know, I, I think I always feel like for something really cool to happen, a lot of times, the least amount of people that can be involved, okay. it's usually the way to go. Sports trades, I think you made a great point with the COVID year. Um, the Because a lot of people have compared Trey Lance to Wiseman. And you go back and you look at that 220 uh, NBA draft, Wiseman goes second, Killian yeah. Hayes goes seventh. Halliburton falls all the way to 12th, who was like lights out, but there's no tournament that year. And Desmond Bain falls to, I think, 30th. And all these things happen that just because we didn't have a tournament to kind of watch these guys at the highest possible Mm -hmm. competition level, and then they weren't able to work them out in person. So then crazy shit happens. So do you think there had to be a little piece of that with NFL? Right. And there was too much information. Everybody was talking to everybody because you had to call somebody on the phone to get details because you weren't going to see the player. Right. Oh, let me call my buddy over here and talk about Desmond Bain. Let me talk about this player. Let me talk about all of a sudden you've got too many people. I I think the key line in all in any business, whether it's making 30 is evaluate the evaluator. Who's giving you the information? You know, that's the key is like we don't evaluate. It's like pro football focus. They just throw those numbers up there and they hide behind this curtain. And I'm not against it, but tell me who's doing the evaluation. Like, I'd like to know, like, I want to know, like, put somebody's name on it. Don't just say it's pro football focus. Like, that's okay. Like, you got to evaluate the evaluate because we're all going to be wrong. Like, that doesn't mean it's the Bible. It doesn't mean it's perfect. Like, just tell me who did this. Is it some guy in his basement in Des Moines who doesn't ever come out except for meatloaf? Like, tell me the guy that does it. I want to know. And, and I think that's where we tend to believe this. And we're so gullible. We just believe what we hear and because it's the easiest way to do it. It's hard to say to somebody, I don't disagree. I disagree with that tape. It's hard. You get killed. On, you get killed out there. But the people that do, especially with so many self-proclaimed experts, if you don't, as Walsh would say, we're all thinking alike. No one's thinking. I think another thing that makes this trade like a possible documentary someday is just that draft, the top 12, where it's like Pitts, Chase, Waddle, Sewell, J.C. Horn, Sertan, Devonta Smith, 
Fields, Micah Parsons, and Parsons. Slater are all the are all the next picks. Yeah, I, and but Parsons is a perfect example, right? You know, there was a lot of dirt on him that he, you know, whatever it was at Penn State, like, and none of it was true, like, and none of it was coming from the Penn State people. Like, it was like he was a, like, if you just go back and watch him, like, oh my God, this guy's great. But all of a sudden, all of this, and then, you know, there's so much misinformation. That's why, you know, if you can focus, and, you know, as Steve Jobs said, focus is about saying no to everything. If you can focus on what your task is, you'll be much better. But it's hard to do in this world, especially if you have any internet connection. Well, the Niners, we mentioned how loaded they are. I, I did this modified player rank thing, basically off the blue chip, red chip thing, which you've been doing forever. And then I tried to figure out honorable mention points, yeah. trying to figure out points for positions, weighting them, how important the position were. So quarterback and edge rusher, like those are more valuable than linebacker, stuff like that. I have them with McCaffrey, Samuel, Ayuk, Kittle, Trent Williams, who's the best tackle in the league, Bosa, Hargrave, because they signed him, Armstead, Fred Warner's the best linebacker in the league. Greenlaw, Ward, Hafanga, and then Shanahan, who's one of the top five coaches. From top to bottom, it's the most loaded team in the league. They have a crazy, you know, crazy schedule. Um, it's, I think, it, it's front loaded in one way, and then it gets easier. But for the most part, really, Purdy is the only thing that I look at and go, "All right, well, that's a concern." But I thought Purdy was okay. Like, I they just yeah. need like a B minus, a quarterback, right? Yeah, I mean, they just need a, an average point guard. All he's got to do right. is is just get the ball to him. I mean, when you study quarterbacks, one of the stats I think you have to look at that's never talked a lot about is the percentage completion over expected completion. For example, right? You know, Josh Allen, when he was a rookie, was 25% of guys that were open, he missed. Right? right. Now, last year, it was down to 16%. So what, what Purdy, all Purdy has to do is make the easy throw easy. He doesn't have to make it hard. Get the ball to Debo. One thing about the 49ers, if you break down, if they were a basketball team, they would shoot very little shots outside the hash marks. Everything they do is inside the middle of the field. And they run with the ball after the catch. The receivers are always on the move. They make one guy miss. It's a 40-yard gain. Like, Purdy doesn't have to be great. He can be Bob Greasy. Hand the ball off, throw it to Paul Warfield, and let the, let the defense carry the day. The other thing I, I think we don't talk enough about is when you can play from in front as good as they are defensively, then it becomes a different game. You know, right. that's one of the things that, you know, the Jets never could play from in front last year. Now, the Jets only had two turnovers in the last nine games of the season. But the reality of it Wait, is... I thought is, they were the 85 Bears on defense. I know. That's, that's, that's what everybody tells you. Two turnovers in two, nine games? I'd, two turnovers. After okay. this, I think it's nine games or eight games. Nine or eight games, they had two turnovers. After their bye week, they had two turnovers. And so... How good can that be? But they never play from front. They never play from the front. They have Zach Wilson playing quarterback. It's hard to do. So it's hard to turn the ball over. My point is, when you look at that, Kansas City, you can move the ball on Kansas City. The problem is you get behind Kansas City, and then you turn the ball over. Yeah. You know, Philadelphia, you get behind, you turn it over. San Francisco, you get behind them. And Joey Bosa's, I mean, Nick Bosa's going to kick your ass. He's going to come with you, Armstead. You know, you didn't mention Kittle. I mean, they got first-round picks everywhere. And that D-line coach, if you rank D-line coaches in the NFL, one through 32, this guy's number one. Right. I thought I did mention Kittle. I had Kittle in there too. Yeah, I had no, like... No, I mean a Kinlaw. Kinlaw, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, was a first-round pick. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so one thing with their schedule, 
they play the AFC North this year, which I think is going to be the best of the eight divisions. And then they have Philly and Dallas and the Giants who, you know, the Giants have now become, I think their over-unders like seven and a half. I think the Giants, I don't know why they're going to take a step back. I don't understand that either. Uh, They have some night games too and stuff like that. But if you actually look at the quarterbacks they're playing this year, I always look at the quarterbacks. How many, how many really good ones are you playing? They're only, they have Hurts, Lamar, Lawrence, Dak, and Watson. That's it out of 17 games. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out which team, because every year there's one team that's going to go 13 and four, 14 and three, whatever. And it's a combination of talent, schedule, whatever. I'm having a hard time trying to figure out who that team's going to be this year because the normal yeah. suspects, their schedules, nobody has the schedule Philly had last year. We all looked at the Philly thing last year. Remember it was like week three and you're like, man, yeah. look at that schedule. They might go like 16 and one. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick a team that was going to levitate above everyone else and go like 15 and two, 14 and three, who would you pick? Yeah, that, that's a hard one. So I would be reluctant to say San Francisco because you got to be careful with them. Their injury. Remember, they lose to right. Atlanta and they got killed by Kansas City during the middle of the season. When they get hurt, they're not the same team. So, And I think Seattle's kind of a sleeper team in that division. Yep. So I think they're going to be much better. You know, I, I can't. There's no one in the South. There's no one in the North in the NFC. And the Eagles, I, I said last year they had a Gonzaga-like schedule, but it's not their fault. They just dominated everybody. You yeah. know, I could see them doing the same thing. I mean, they've improved. They're not any worse than they were last year. And their schedule, I mean, they dominate teams. Their schedule, they could beat it. In the AFC, there's too many good teams for somebody to go for. I know Kansas City, Kansas City won, I think, six of their games were a six-point or less. I mean, they find ways to win close games, Kansas City. They're really good. And if Chris Jones doesn't show up, that'll be harder for them. So I, I don't know if there's a team in the NFC that can separate itself like they did. I mean, think about this, Bill. Minnesota won 13 games last year. I know. I mean, with the, with a defense that was gave up over 400 yards like it was no problem. Yeah. I don't see the separator team because the KC thing at some point, they're pushing it with the receivers. Yeah. And last well, year, I picked them to win the Super Bowl, and I'm like, you know what, Mahomes? Just give him average receivers. He'll make it work because he's got Kelsey. This year, it's like Kelsey and I think one of the top five worst receiver rooms that anybody has. I don't even know if you had to say, who would you want in fantasy? I don't even know who I would pick. So I just at some point, they're doing a little tap dance with that, that I think they're going to go too far with. Well, let, let's just take, you know, people say preseason's meaningless, right? And I, and I disagree. There's things you can find out in preseason. For example, last preseason, the, the Giants. You know, their execution was really good. It was right there in front of us, and we re- I refused to acknowledge it. I just thought they were going to be bad. You know, right. they were able to – they completed passes in the preseason. Their execution was good, and it carried over. Last preseason, with that receiving core, Mahomes played last preseason, and he averaged 8.6 yards per attempt. This preseason, he was at 7-1. Like they struggled against Arizona the first two drives, and they were trying. They were trying to score. Now, eventually, yeah. he got him down the field. But I'm with you. I'm not sure they're as good this point of the season as they were last year. I think it's going to take some time. And do they have that guy? They've got a lot of young receivers. I, I don't count, you know, Scantling, you know, as being a guy who's going to take a giant step or up. Or Sky Moore. Hey, I remember the Pats put Brady in this position one specific year in 06. The Rache Rache Caldwell, Jabbar Gaffney year, and Troy yeah. Brown, who was pretty done at that point. And Brady, that was one of his best seasons. And nobody was open the whole season. Like, nobody. Right. Caldwell was probably their best receiver. And he was, 
you know, probably like a C minus, but I do think like at some point you can throw the position away to the point that if nobody can get open against a good defense, I don't care how good Mahomes is. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, we'll take a break and then I gave you an assignment. We're going to talk about it. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. You can bet anything. You can bet the Packers to win the division. It's like plus 350. You can bet Jalen Hurts to be your MVP. I think it's either 12 to 1 or 11 to 1 right now. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash BS. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and president in select states. First online real money wager, only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. NFL Sunday ticket offer ends September 18th, 2023. No refunds, terms, and embargoes apply. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV. YouTube TV base plan required to watch YouTube TV. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use excluded. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, so I sent you a text. I gave you an assignment. I separated two groups of teams under the caveat, can't believe they made the playoffs 2023. So I did this last year. It has to be playoff teams that in the odds, it's plus. So on FanDuel, all of these are plus odds. And they're separated into two categories. Kind of can't believe it and cannot believe it. So last year, the kind of can't believe it playoff teams that ended up happening were the Dolphins, they were plus 142, and the Giants were plus 225. The I cannot believe it playoff teams were Jacksonville was plus 450, and Seattle was plus 500. So I sent you eight kind of can't believe it teams, and I sent you seven cannot believe it teams. Let's start with that group because I'm really having trouble. Here are the seven. Rams plus 285, Washington plus 310, Indy plus 350, Tampa plus 360, Vegas 390, Houston 520, and Arizona plus 980. Those are the seven. If you had to pick, if Polly Walnuts has you (laughs) in the backseat of a car with a gun on you and is forcing you to make a pick where you're not going to have Rigatoni tonight, which one of those seven jumped out to you? Uh, well, if I got to get the relish from Paulie, I'm definitely, it's Washington at plus 310. You know, that, I that mean, was me, me too. Yeah. Give me the mustard and give me the relish. You know, it tastes good. Uh, I, 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 Washington to me is a team that's undervalued. You know, look, I know Rivera's got his problems. I get that. But you can't play any worse than, than Carson Wentz played last year. I mean, their red zone was so bad. 
They, the Tennessee game, they dominate the game and they lose. You know, the, the giant game that they lost in, in FedEx Field, they have a chance. They're in the red zone twice, can't come away with right. any points. I mean, they lost so many close games that if Hal just plays effectively, efficiently, they should be better than 8-8-1. Eight, eight, I mean, they have the well, but you have a good team. you have a good quarterback shit detector. Is Howell setting good. it off? You think he's good? I think he's good. He's got great rhythm. He's got timing. He can throw. He can move on the run. I, I think he's good. They've got good skill. No, look, I hate their offensive line. That's not a great line, but they can get by with it. Look, they go into Philly, turn the ball over twice, and still beat Philadelphia. Mm. You know, I, I would wish they would have signed a running back. I wish they would have been in the Dalvin Cook market. For some reason, they think Robinson and Gibson are elite. I don't. But that being said, they're entitled to their opinion. This is a good team. They were they were one of the best red zone defenses in football last year. They were one of the best third down defenses in football last year. Like you can't push them around. They're good up front. And Chase Young is in his fifth. You know he's got to he's playing for something. Yeah. And usually guys that have talent that play for something play good. So I, I that to me jumped out to me. That was the one. I mean, eliminate Arizona. I can't see that. You know, can Indianapolis with Richardson play? I don't think Indianapolis is good enough on defense to be able to carry the growing pains of the offense. That's what worries me about Indy. You know, I think the Raiders will be better, but I think the Raiders are eight, nine, nine, and eight better. Are they a playoff team? I don't know. They were, they were in a lot of close games last year. I mean, people don't realize last year, and it may be because they changed offenses, but Carr had his worst season as a pro. I mean, in almost every area, interception percentage, the expected completion percentage, it was the worst he's ever been. You know, he had a high touchdown percentage, but he just wasn't the same player. You know, and they lose games in Tennessee. They lost the Charger game in Los Angeles. You know, they lost so many games where he had a chance to make one throw. Pittsburgh game, throw the out to Devontae Adams, we win the game. Doesn't throw it. You know, that they were in those games and they sucked on defense. They'll be better on defense. But again, the AFC is so hard, it's hard to really predict which one of these will steal a win here and there? I'm with you on card. I remember texting you a few times during the season, having the Raiders in like a parlay or something. It just, to me, I don't, I don't know if he shot, but it seemed like he was shot for that team. I think with the Saints, because they have some good weapons. They're indoors. They have, um, they have a better offensive line than I think Vegas had last year. Change yeah. of scenery. Maybe he spent the off season, like you know, in, doing in Rocky Four and Siberia, <laughs> doing the pull ups. I don't know, but I'm not counting him out yet. Like Matt Ryan with the Colts, I was like, I'm out. The, the Matt Ryan's done. There's no way. I don't know if Carr's done, but it felt like he was done in Vegas. I agree with you on that. But so I'll talk about Washington in a second. That Washington was the team that jumped out with the odds. Indy. At plus 350, because of the division, right? Like, eight and nine might win that division for all we know. Jacksonville's defense, not impressed by Tennessee. Who knows? Um, and the quarterback, I don't think he's going to be accurate, right? There's going to be some growing pains, but he's such a physical specimen. They have such... A, I, Steichen, I thought, was incredible for the Eagles last year. There's a yeah. world where they... I don't know. They just like yeah. use him like this shiny toy and, and they figure it out and they're just kind of hard to play. They mm -hmm. have a really, really, really easy schedule. So I, yeah. I'm not ruling them out, but what did you see from Richardson? Anything? Well, I, I think I saw a, a, a Josh Allen type player, you know, I right. think he, but the difference between he and Josh Allen is he's coming into an offense that fits Josh Allen. 
Josh Allen, it was a work. And what offense are we going to run here? You know, how are we going to play Josh? It wasn't until the year three that they really nailed that down. And so this kid, I thought he had really good poise this summer. And he's going to be inaccurate. His percentage of missing receivers is going to be high. The concern you have, I don't think they have great skill. You know, who are you worried about? Alex Pierce? You know, you worried about Michael Pittman? Like they don't have that, you know, receiver. And if they trade Taylor, who's the back? Like, what are they doing there? Yeah. I think the skill around them, where Philly, remember now, just remember that Jalen Hurts is, they're nine and eight. They go to Tampa and they get whacked, right? And I mean, they had that losing streak once they got to the six-back offense. But really, the difference between the Philly team in 21 to 22 was the skill level. You bring A.J. Brown and you put him on there with Waddle, and now you got Dallas Goddard. You got great receivers. You got one of the best tight ends in football, a really good offensive line, all of a sudden, Hertz, who ran the ball a- average per carry less last year than he did in 21, they're a better offense. So they don't have that skill around them. I, I could see them being eight and nine, nine and eight, because you're right. They don't have a hard schedule. I worry about how good they are on defense. I mean, they're not, I mean, the Philadelphia offense in the last preseason game had their backups. And I mean, they're real backups in there. And the Colts struggled to stop their offense in that first mm. drive. I'm with you on. I don't overreact to preseason and I don't really watch that much of it, but I do love monitoring the dialogue behind it. I think certain things jump out. If somebody like O'Connell, the kid on the Raiders, which just everybody's like, this kid's good. Like just point blank, watch the games, watch the tape. You hear the teammates talking about him. Everyone's just like, this kid's got it. He's good. So that jumps out. And then the flip side, Carolina just seems like a disaster. Like they don't seem like they're going to be able to block. They're putting this rookie quarterback behind this line that can't protect him. He's got, I would say, the worst weapons in the league. If you're going his his running back, receiver, tight end, skill, skill group, I would say it's probably 32nd, and they're not going to be able to block. So I look at that. That was a team I was like, oh, you know, NFC South, I don't know, any one of those three. Yeah. And I, I've, like, crossed them off just from the yeah. preseason. Well, I mean, they were good. At, last year, they could run the ball. They ran for 350 yards against the Detroit Lions, who are going to go to the Super right. Bowl this year. You know, so <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Like, yeah, I forgot the Lions know, are I mean, in. So they they just destroyed <laughs> the Lions. I mean, they ran up and down the field on them. But you know, the the Frank Wright factor. You know, I I mean, Wright when he took over in, in Indianapolis, he had some of Josh McDaniels' staff, and then he fired the line coach, and then that line got worse in Indy every year after that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm with like James Campen's a good line coach. He proved it last year, but so far the quarterback's getting hit way too much. The left tackle, their first round pick from North Carolina State, he's not playing well. They, and they're right. The skilled players are not. And, and I don't think Frank's one of those guys who's got a legitimate guru card as an offensive coordinator. I, I never saw the guru oh, I th- card. I thought Frank was in the Hall of Fame. I, that was yeah, the memo I, mean, I got the other day. Yeah, the amazing job he did with the Colts where they had a new uh, quarterback every year that he brought in and then apologized yeah. for in December. Yeah, and he's the guru from uh, in all the off-season stuff. You know, it's like get yeah. your guru card. There's no rue in that guru. I, I don't. I, I I'm with you. I, I want to love the Panthers because I think they're a good team. Well, because we liked I mean, them last year, they really came on. But you know, they also lost Foreman, who I thought was huge for them, and they lose DJ Moore too. Right, and they and they you know I mean DJ Moore keeps his helmet on. They're going to beat Atlanta, uh, and they're right. in the playoffs. I mean, they beat they beat New Orleans. In, an, in one of the ugliest games of the year, 10 to 7 with no offense. I mean, they're good on defense. They're not elite, but they're good. I, I think that owner, you know, look, he fires Wilkes. He doesn't hire Wilkes, who did a really yeah. good job and deserved to be the head coach. 
and put Reich in there. Reich's under a lot of pressure to play that. He's got to, I mean, like, how did you got that job because you're supposed to be this offensive mastermind? And where's the mastermind coming from? I think Wilkes lost his job the week after they blew that Tampa game, which they were up 21 nothing. Tampa, which was a carcass, they some, yeah. they, all of a sudden they can't cover Mike Evans for three quarters. Tampa beats them and goes to round one and gets completely annihilated. Right. And I think that probably made them go, oh, wow, we're way further away than we thought. But they should have beaten Tampa. Quickly on Washington, their schedule is a nightmare. I mean, this is these are just the tough games they have starting in week two. At Denver, home Buffalo, at Philly, at Atlanta, at the Giants, home Philly, at New England, at Seattle, at Dallas, at the Jets, home San Francisco, home Dallas. So that's, those yeah. are 12 games that they're not going to be favored in. Right. And but that's they, ultimately what's holding me back with them. And, and Rivera. Rivera's another yeah. one. What, what's well, the evidence that Rivera's a good coach? Well, he's had four playoff seasons and three winning seasons. And you'll never hear those two things go in a sentence together. Four playoff seasons, but only three winning seasons. I mean, so that's really somewhat remarkable. Uh, Jesus. I mean, look, they, can, they got a really good defensive team. Their front's good. This Emmanuel Forbes kid can intercept passes. I mean, if they can create, they were one of the worst teams creating turnovers in the league. So, look, I think they can pressure you. They're good on third down. They're good in the red zone. I, I'm with you. The only drawback for me is if, if they brought Parcells from Jupiter and let him coach Washington, I would be all in on it. <laughs> Philly's over-under is 11.5. Dallas is 9.5. Giants are 7.5. Washington, 6.5. It's I the first time low. I've ever looked at a division and thought all four could go over. Yeah, I think they're all low, right? Like, how yeah. is Philly going to lose? How are Philly losing six games, right? I mean, at, at 11 and 5, 11 and 6. You know, what else is to, you know what else is out of whack? Hertz is like 12 to 1 to win the MVP. And if you look at his stats last year, I think he was 3,700 passing and like 800 rushing. He missed two games. And then, as you know, they, 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 they probably sat on like eight fourth quarters. Yeah. So I don't mm -hmm. even know, like, he, he really probably played like 13 and a half games if you take out all the fourth quarters where they had like a 20-point lead. And this year, if, if their schedule is harder, and I was just thinking, like, couldn't he go for like 4,000 and 1,000? And he's got Brown, and he's got Smith, and he's got Goddard, and he's got the best offensive line in the league. Like, why couldn't he just go nuts this year? Right. I mean, he went from his rookie year... He went from 25% bad throws down to last year he was at 14.2. That yeah. just shows you how much he improved. So he's gonna, Brown's going to get open. Now, the only thing that you could say is the injury bug had been part of Philly's history in the past. Last year, they avoided it completely. Now, if that creeps up, but I mean, we're sitting here, we can't predict injuries. You know, as Belichick said, we're not a doctor. We can't predict them. So I have no idea, but they're good. I mean, and I, I think every number in that division is low. Like I, 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 I want to say the Giants aren't going to be as good, but the Giants know how to play the game to where they slow the game. Down. I mean, the Giants are like Princeton in basketball. They're going to slow it down. They're going to back cut. You're going to say, how are they beating us? And they beat you. They had a good draft. Thibodeau came on as the course of last year went along. They found that receiver in November out of nowhere who I think is going to help them. But I just, I don't know. I just stay ball. I have a hard time thinking he's going to go seven and 10. They were too well prepared last year. Yeah. So, my final answer on the cannot believe it teams, I might not take a single team from that group because my whole theory year after year, it's like 
I always wanted six new playoff teams when I'm doing picks, right? Six and six. Six always go out, six go in. Now we have 14 playoff teams instead of 12. And it's been steady the last two years. It's been seven have been out, seven come in. And I'm looking at the kind of can't believe it section. And I really like the teams in this section. So it's Pitt plus 128, Green Bay plus 138, Giants plus 172, Carolina plus 172, Chicago plus 172. This is all to make the playoffs. Denver plus 186, Tennessee plus 198, and New England plus 250. And I have five of those teams in bold. Yeah. Lombardi. So starting with I'll, Pittsburgh. I'll, Pittsburgh. I'll pick your five. I'll, I'll tell you your five. Oh, yeah. All right. So I, it's Pitt, Green Bay, Giants, Carolina, Chicago, Denver, Tennessee, New England. So what's my five? You got you definitely have Pittsburgh because I'm with you on that. I think you're with Green Bay. I think you're with Tennessee. I think you're with Tennessee. I don't think you've you've jumped on the hype train of the of the Chicago Bears. And I'll say the Giants is your 15. So Pitt. Green Bay Giants, Tennessee, New England is who I am looking at. <laughs> so I got them but all right. You did. So we'll go in order. Pittsburgh plus 128. So as you said, the Lions are in the Super Bowl. I don't know if people realize that they're already on the program and stuff because they finished the year so strong last year. Such a strong ending to the year, right? Oh, of course, yeah. it's going to carry over. Pittsburgh was 7-2 and two in their last nine and yeah. almost beat Baltimore and Pickett I thought was legitimately solid. And now it looks like he's even taken a step up. They had a good draft. They had Watt missing for three months last year. Um, Warren might be better than Najee Harris. I guess we're going to find out. They got Pickens in year two. And I'm just looking at them going, I think that team can win the division. Uh, yeah. And they had a great offseason. I mean, Patrick and Tomlin played well for Minnesota. You know, Tomlin's a great coach. Look, I, I, that's the biggest, that, you know, when you get that media train behind it, like Detroit, so they both play. This is what I keep telling people. They both play Carolina in consecutive weeks. Pittsburgh goes into Carolina and kicks the living shit out of Carolina. I mean, Carolina can't do anything against them. They win the score. I think they won by two touchdowns or, or eight points, but the game was never that close. They kicked Carolina's ass. The next week, Detroit goes down there and Carolina kicks Detroit's ass. Like, yeah. like this, the, Pittsburgh's a really good team. If they would be in the NFC North, they would be the favorite to win the North without a question of a doubt. I mean, they're really well coached. The, the quarterback didn't make mistakes the second half of the season. Remember that Baltimore game that they turned the ball over three times. My man, MVP Mitch, came off the bench in a relief <laughs> right. and threw two red zone touch interceptions. You know, he couldn't wait to help that happen. So that, that killed them there. I think they only turned the ball over five times in that nine games, in that nine game stretch. And three of them came in that game. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on Pittsburgh. I really am. I, I think Pittsburgh. And they might have a chance to have a top five defense, right? Or top right. seven. They'll be somewhere in the, if everyone's healthy, I think it'll be in the top. When I was in Cleveland, Kevin, we played in 1989. We played in the Astrodome. And it was, we were either going to be the number two seed in the AFC or we were not going to make the playoffs if we beat the Ast Oilers. And they were great. They had Warren Moon. They had this great team. I wrote about them in the book. It was incredible. Kevin Mack scores on with 47 seconds left to go in the game, and we win the game. We get the number two seed. That's the last time, 1989, that's the last time the Browns finished ahead of the Steelers in the North Central, whatever you want to call wow. it. Think about that. That's the last time it happened. It's the last time. And so, like, they're just physically, mentally tougher than a lot of these teams. Well, you must North. have loved the Tomlin quote this week. Oh yeah. Uh, that was Parcell's quote. He just, he just put it around in a different sentence. 
So for the people listening, he what was it? it you know the quote. What, what is it he exactly? Said, uh, I, I've never known a boxer that can win a fight if he don't spar. That was his, spar. his theory on preseason. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. play my guys some of the preseason games. We got to have some, put some sparring in. Yeah. And then I mean, you have other teams like Cincinnati would always start last couple of years slow in September. And that's a team... I love Cincinnati. Like I was one of the only ones that was all in on them last year. I think I, I, I thought they were going to be in the final four and they were. Um, but it does worry me. The slow starts and now Burroughs hurt and tough schedule for them. They're a really tough division. I still think they're going to make the playoffs, but I do think that division's wide open. Yeah, I do too. And look, I like Cleveland. If not now, when for Cleveland? I mean, really, right. if not now, when? I mean, Cleveland's really good defensively. They've got, you know, good rushers. They can run the football. They got the best running back in the league. I mean, they can do so many good things, Philly. I mean, the Cleveland that that yeah. they just have to win these now. Cade York, the problem, right? I mean, he missed another kick the other night. Like they've got to figure out this kicking situation. I don't know if they're going to give up on a fourth round pick because the kid's got talent. Think about this, Bill. Some of the best kickers in this league, Buckner, uh, the kid in Philadelphia, uh, and then the, the kid in Carlson, right? Elliott yeah. in Philly, right? All those guys Tucker. were were drafted. What Tucker was, but all those guys were cut and put on a practice squad that the teams took, right? So you know, Kansas City took Buckner oh, off wow. Carolina's list, yeah. or you know, and so the same thing. Carlson was drafted by the Vikings. They gave up on him early. Now he makes every kick. I think he made a sixty-some yarder last night. So Koo's another thing. one. Koo was on what the Chargers, and now ended right, up in yeah. the Falcons. Remember he, yeah, then he yeah. got the Charger jinx. Remember the Chargers couldn't make a field oh, yeah. goal to save their life. You know, so I, I, I mean, that's the only concern I have about Cleveland. Cincinnati five and four the last two years starting out. They're going to be different defensively because their, their safeties are going to change, right? They're going to play, you know, they lose Bates, they lose Von Bell, they're going to start Hill in there. They're going to be different defensively. I think it's going to, and they haven't really, they don't do much in the offseason. I mean, Zach Taylor's kind of like, I want to rest, get the guys healthy. So right. I don't think no you P. Can Ryan, a lot on mixing this year. I don't think you can start slow in the North and come back. I, I don't think you can. Well, I mean, and then Baltimore's another one because Baltimore's defense is already like decimated. Yeah, they're bad. I mean, they can't cover anybody. I mean, they've been one of the worst secondaries in a while. And Marlon Humphreys, who's a really good player, needs to play in slot, not outside. Right. I, I think it's going to be fun and He's to out watch. for a while, right? He's going to be out for a month, probably. Well, they're, yeah. they're not going to say, but you don't have an ankle injury and come back and play great corner all of a sudden. I, I think that's going to be hard. Look, they talk about all they talk about in Baltimore is, you know, they've got to change their offense, change their offense, but they got to run the football. They got to keep that. Because when Miami had to throw it on them and people have to throw it on them, if you block them, if you're signing Clowney this late in the summer, that means you're worried about your pass rush. Oh, totally. Yeah, the the other thing with Cleveland is just, what do we do with last year's Watson season? Do we yeah. toss it away? Is that the guy he is now? We haven't seen him be good in three years. And that that's my hesitation with them because I'm with you. They have a ton of talent. Uh, to me, Pittsburgh's the safest bet. I really like Pickett. Uh, we, we've been, there's been a lot of Desmond Ritter propaganda yeah. this season about the weapons. And I bet on them a couple of times last year with him and I just didn't see it. I didn't see any flashes or anything. Pickett, I mean, Pickett got knocked out in a game. Um, yeah. I, I thought he took some big hits. I thought he got better as the year went along and I, I just like him. Yeah, I do too. And see, the problem is Pittsburgh's offense isn't sexy. Nobody talks about it. You know, they yeah. don't throw for, they just win games. They run it. They're effective. Their offensive line is much better this year. Fireman right. is one of the best tight ends in football. They can block at the end of the line. 
you know, they just don't, you know, Pickett was effective with the ball. Look, if they don't let the Jets come back on them in that game where Zeke, where uh, Zach Wilson has his finest hour, they're going to win that <laughs> game, right? That. I mean, that was, remember that was Zach Wilson's time? finest hour coming yeah. on NFL films next month. I mean, that's a 30 for 30 for you <laughs> yeah. there. I mean, like, did they win that game? They're in the playoffs and nobody would have won a play. They were too physical. I, I, I'm with you. Cleveland has to prove to me that they're mentally and physically tough. I think that's the issue with Cleveland. Well, Are they coach be, too. A close game? Where, yeah. How about Stefanski? I don't know if I trust him at all. I certainly wouldn't put him in the top, like, half of the coaching circuit. He's probably in the bottom 10 or 12. I, we just yeah. haven't seen it. Well, I mean, he, you know, I don't know who he's talking to in the box, but when you have fourth in your own inches at your own 25, what do you get out of that? Like, what right. what could the analytics tell you that tells you you should go for it? You only get three more downs. You don't get a touchdown. You only get three more downs. Right. Like, why would you do that? Well, that's too logical. Let's take one more break, and then we'll go through the other teams here. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's gonna happen. It's gonna get warm. You're gonna start wearing shorts. You're gonna start wearing bathing suits. You're just, you're not gonna be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. All right, the uh, kind of can't believe it teams, Green Bay plus 138 and... I feel like I'm taking crazy pills with them. I think they're <laughs> going to be good. I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in on the Packers, and especially in that division. And if you just give me the Lions over here and the Packers over here, and you're saying with the Packers, well, they don't have Aaron Rodgers anymore. Okay, yeah. well, he wasn't. He didn't play well last year. Yeah, like they didn't really have Aaron Rodgers last year because he wasn't good. Love's been waiting for this for a couple of years. They have a lot of assets on both sides of the ball. It's a team that succeeded had been in playoff games. They have a lot of first-round picks. I don't know. I just, I, I could see them going 10 and 7. The plus 130, 138, 9 and 8 might make the playoffs in the NFC. That seems logical. I'm with you. They gave up 34 points to Detroit in two games last year. And if Rodgers would have played half decent in either game, because you know, they turned the ball over in the red zone, right? And that yep. killed them. I mean, they their defense the last half of the season, I think, gave up an average of 17 points a game. They were really good at the end of the year. They were playing good defense. They were healthy on defense. The front seven's really good. They can rush the passer. I mean, they're good, and they're they're young. I mean, other than Preston Smith and Devontae and Devante Campbell, Devante Campbell, they're, they're a young defense. They can run around. Alexander can cover anybody in the league. Their offensive line, if Bakari's back, he's good at left tackle. Right. 
I mean, that, and they got two young tight ends. Now that'll be, but these young receivers, Dobbs and, and Watson are really good. I'm with you. I, all, all love has to be is good. You know, it's funny. Packer fans. He's like, pick spoiled. it. Just, just be like a B minus and we're yeah, good. Just be, a de- be a decent point guard. That's all you yeah. Be speeding clacks in a point guard. That's all you got to do. Just be right. a decent point guard, right? Of course, we drafted him in the Speedy first round. Classic. Anyway, 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 we'll go. No, I'll be Gabe Vincent. Just be Gabe Vincent. Bring the ball <laughs> up, hit some threes. Exactly. You know, so like, think about this, Bill. It's been, it's been since Don Majikowski took a snap and they went from Mikowski to Favre, they've had like 11,000 days of having Favre and Rodgers and they've only yeah. won two Super Bowls. This Packer fan base has been spoiled. Like, you don't need to always have the best quarterback in the league. Like, they have had that, right? And they're just going to have to find a way to win. Now, the problem is, I worry about LaFleur. Is he going to do something that I don't like? And that's what I worry about. But to me, watching him this summer, I think he's running the offense that best suits love. Their schedule, they play the AFC West. So that gives them um, Vegas and Denver. And then NFC South, which potentially could be favored in every game. Hard games for them this year at Atlanta, at Denver, at Pittsburgh, at Detroit, home Kansas City, at the Giants, at Minnesota. That's really it. So yeah. it's sitting there for them. And if they hit their draft, which is always the hardest thing to figure out with this stuff, but people seem to like their draft. I'm with you. I really liked Watson. Um, yeah. So anyway, I have them down. Uh, we we crossed off Carolina. I We don't need to talk about Chicago for more than five seconds because I think... <laughs> That, I'm Why? just here. Here's the here's my thing with Fields, and you've you've gone even further with it. But I just want to see it. You know, yeah. it's like just uh, let me see it for like five six games. Let me see games where he goes like you know twenty five for thirty six and throws for three twenty. I need to see some variance. Other just when I'm in trouble, I take off and I'm scary that way. I just want to see it. I'm not ruling it out, but I don't trust it. You you're even more dubious. Yeah, I just want to see him get good. I, I, I think we've got carried away that he's this elite thrower. Like just the other night, they're playing against Buffalo. He's two for six. He makes one throw to DJ Moore. It's in the dirt. It's not very accurate, you know, and I want to see him have rhythm to his game. I want to see him process. I don't want to see him like, oh, I don't like it. I'm taking off and running. You know, I admire his athleticism. I'm not disputing that, but I want to see him play quarterback. And the longer he doesn't play quarterback, the more defenses are going to force him to play quarterback. The other thing is the Bears are not good on defense. I mean, this I, I'm just tell, they're not good on defense. I mean, the Buffalo went right down the field. I mean, Tennessee with their backup, with their starting offensive line, and Malik Willis went right down the field this summer on them. So they have to turn the ball over in Chicago. I, I, but so I just would like – I think the expectations on fields is too great. Lower them a little bit. Can he get to, to where he'll throw 30 passes a game? Because last year they averaged 22.4 passes a game. I mean, other than the Miami Dolphins in 72, I don't know how many teams just average 22 passes a game. I heard you talk about this on your pod and I looked it up. And in the 21st century, it's one of the three teams that threw the ball the least that we've had. And they were and, behind in every game. Well, they that's the thing. It, 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 and I did some stat where it was like teams that had five wins or less and the least pass attempts. And you would just think, all right, if you're behind, you're going to throw the ball more. And they just, they wouldn't throw the ball even when it was like 38 to 10. No, they were they just don't afraid to, to do it. They don't want to. They know they know what they have. I mean, they say all the right things, but they know what they have, and they're going to do exactly what you should do is manage the quarterback correctly. 
We right. have this notion in the NFL that all these quarterbacks are just elite and you just let them out there and play. That's not the case. They all have to be in the right, like Hurts, he's in the perfect system. I think Richardson will be in the perfect system, right? Like all these quarterbacks, if they get into the right system, they really look special. There is a case for Fields, right? Better weapons this year, another year under his belt. Um, we saw him throw more in college. So I'm I'm definitely not ruling it out. I just I wouldn't bet on it either. To me, they're a wait and see team. I'm a little after what they did to the Patriots last year, a little little scared of them anyway. But um But he's right, not so, gonna be the MVP. Like that that's no. what I keep guarding me Like, why are we betting them the MVP? All right. So the Giants were plus one seventy two. That was the other one. That mm-hmm. one I like because yeah. to me, I if they hadn't made the playoffs last year, I would even like them more. They kind of snuck in. They were nine, seven, and one. It, it, I, I don't think they were, even they didn't think they were a playoff team. Somehow they win a game. So now it seems like last year was this huge success. And it was like, maybe this was the year, not last year, that they were going to make the jump. They just took advantage of a weak NFC. They played Minnesota in the playoffs. They have a lot of talent, you know, and they're yeah. going to, they can do specific things. They're incredibly well prepared. They're really hard to play. They have a really good pass rush. They can cover. Like the linebackers are probably the weak part of the team, but right. um, I don't know. 10 and 7 seems realistic to me with them. I just, I have a hard time betting against Dayball. Right. I, I think if they were in the AFC, we wouldn't have this conversation. I think they would lose out. They would be one yeah. of a lot of good teams. But in the NFC, they kind of stand out. I, I, I mean, look, when Daniel Jones is running and moving with his feet and using, because he's a good athlete, I think right. they're a better offense. I think if he's going to be a pure pocket passer, the game's moving too fast. But when they get his legs involved, like, and he, last year they did it. He was their second leading ball carrier. I mean, they use elements of the six back offense in there and they, and that helps Daniel Jones. And I think with Barkley and him, they're better defensively. They, you know, Waller, if he's, they're using Waller as a receiver, which is what you should do, right? Waller's not a tight end. He's not blocking anybody at the end of the line, but he can, He's really disruptive as a receiver. They're going nuts speed. about they're going nuts about him. Then the, everybody, in the yeah, that's that's what happened with the Raiders too. They went nuts about him too, and then all of a sudden he had a hamstring and he had a contract. So maybe the kid's happy now, you know, that he's there, and we'll see. But he's a weapon. He's good. There's no yeah. question. I just think to me the Giants benefit from not being in a great. The, the NFC is not great. Let's face it, they're not. Yeah. I mean, the AFC, other than to me, Houston. I mean, you could make the case for Indy. What team could you not make the case for? You could say, well, the Raiders. Raiders look pretty good this summer. And Garoppolo's, Garoppolo wins games. You could say whatever you want about him, but he's a good player. Uh, tell me what team could, couldn't you make a case for in the AFC other than Houston? Well, Denver plus 186, which I Giants I'm on the fence for. So I really have four and a half because I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that giant spot. Denver plus 186. I was looking at this hard because... Mm-hmm. As you know, we've talked about this in the past. I love when a team goes from a terrible coach to a good coach. I think that's, and this happened last year with the Giants. It's about once a year when just that coaching upgrade feels like it's not worth like three wins. It's worth like five or six because Urban Meyer with with Jacksonville, just not having Urban Meyer anymore and bringing in somebody that was competent was huge. And I really wanted to talk myself into it with Denver. And I just can't get there. They've already had a, a, a bunch of injuries. People seem mm-hmm. split on how Russ looks. I didn't love all the money they spent in free agency. It was like Peyton's like, I just want an offensive line. I, I didn't even really love who they got yeah. or how much they spent. They're playing in the same division with the Chiefs and Chargers. Their schedule's 
pretty hard in general, and I just couldn't get there. Where Where do you stand? I know you have a lot of respect for Sean. Oh, well, I love Sean, but I think Sean's at the point. I mean, last night, Jared Stidham, I mean, they killed the Rams, which, you know, I love the Rams announcers. They're always saying, well, the Rams were playing our backups. The Rams have nothing but backups. Right. Let's just put that so out you're playing there. your like, team. You're playing your team. Like, you don't have a first team at the Ram. You're just playing. I mean, I think they have Aaron Donald's the only first round pick on, on defense. So they, they destroyed him. But Stidham was good in the game. I, I think Watts, Wilson has not been good. Oh, so no. Far. Are you going where I, I think you're going? I, I, I'm going to say if they start slow, I think Wilson's on. I think Wilson's on a really short lease. And I don't Whoa. think that I know that. He's on a really short leash. Sean didn't go in there with the idea that, oh, we got to make Russell work. You got to fix Russell. Sean went in there saying, you got nothing. You just make the team better. Make the team better. So I, I, I could see that manifesting itself. Now, look, if he comes out and he plays well, I mean, Sean's going to do everything to try to make Russell play better, but Russell won't move. Russell doesn't want to step up in the pocket. Russell doesn't have the same speed and quickness to get away from people that he wants. And those Russ Cook plays are not cooking anymore. So I, I, I'm a little dubious. I'm with you. I think there's going to be improvement in every phase. I just don't trust Russ to be able to turn it back on. I think Seattle was right when they traded him. When he rushed for 172 yards, very low first downs, it was, it was time to move. They knew. On. Yeah, it's almost like in basketball. And I remember last year we were talking about it on this podcast when like Darren Williams, the point guard, all of a sudden he just wasn't as good anymore. And it didn't make sense because he looked the same. His style was the same. But all of a sudden he just, he couldn't beat guys off the dribble anymore. Something seemed slower about him, but he didn't seem fatter. And that was it. And it was over. And he went from like, he was an all NBA player to, you know, kind of bouncing around. And, And I don't know, it seems like Wilson lost some sort of, that escapability and athleticism that made him really special. It just doesn't seem like it's there anymore. So then now he's a short guy. Be, now he's basically the Baker Mayfield syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. And he won't throw with that. You know, he's, it's hard to get it to throw. And how many play actions can you run or all those things he's tried to do it this summer? It's just not happened. Uh, you know, Sean wow. game plan well. He'll run the ball. But I'm just, I just have a sneaky suspicion. I think there's two quarterbacks to keep an eye on that are going to kind of maybe change the, I think Kyler Murray, what they're doing in Arizona, I think Kyler Murray's on a very short leash there in terms of their change in their locker room and their culture. And I think Russell, in terms of his talent, even though he's got a guaranteed contract next year, I I don't know if that means he's going to be the starter if he doesn't play to the level they expect him to. Whew. My computer almost caught fire. that's, (laughs) That's a good one. I, I'm kind of mad. I'm jealous. I'm more jealous right now than anything that I didn't think of. Like, could it be Jared Stidham time sooner than, because we saw Belichick do this with Bledsoe and Brady a million years ago. Like these coaches who are like, I'm Sean Payton. I don't give a fuck. I just want to win games. I don't care who my quarterback, I just want the best one. He's not going to care about past performance. And if he's like Stidham's better, that's it. We'll sort of be out. I like that. We, We as fans, we as fans, we don't realize they watch practice. Right. Everybody says, well, Trey Lance didn't get a chance. Well, they watched him in practice. Like he did have a chance. Like they know more than we know. And I think Sean knows what we know. I think Sean knows. Last two, Tennessee plus 198. I'm in. I'm, I'm just announcing this now. I'm picking them to win the division. I'm and in. I'm in. I, I, they're good on defense. They'll be good on defense. They had the year from hell last year. They were eight and three. The whole team fell apart. And they got hurt. They were running game. The Henry and then this rookie they have, 
who, look, it's preseason, whatever, but the guy did it in college too. He's like legitimately good. They're going to be able to run the ball. Um, the receivers, I thought Burks, before he got hurt last year, I thought he, I actually picked him up in fantasy. I thought he was coming on, and then he got hurt, he got a concussion. But they have two receivers that will at least be able to get open, him and Hopkins. And then they got Vrabel. And yeah. Vrabel's had a lot of success over the last five years. And Tannehill, you don't have to worry about Tannehill not being the starter. Like that whole Malik Willis crap, you know, all yeah. that. Levis, I mean, that ain't happening. So, yeah, I mean, look, any team that can go and play the Kansas City Chiefs with Malik Willis at quarterback, and get a first down in the second quarter, and then not get another one, and get the game to overtime. <laughs> right, deserves your attention. It's a miracle. I mean, that that tape belongs in the Hall of Fame. Nobody wants to. That's the kind of be the greatest coaching job in the history of coaching. To go through that and endure that. I mean, I'm just like I sat there and all that night. I can't believe that. I mean, and they're struggling. And Andy Reid off a of bye week. We know all that rhetoric, right? And it's true. Didn't phase it. Yeah, I like them. Uh, last one is the Pats. So last year I was out. I went under. I was telling people they're going to suck. This coaching thing, I don't know what they're doing. Um, this team doesn't have it this year. And I was pretty adamant. I really like this year's team. The schedule yeah. is a monster. They have right. the worst schedule in the league. And that's the case not to take them, not to mention their division stuff. Um, but, and, and we'll find out when the guards come back. Like, of course, they have to play Philadelphia in week one when we have no idea if Cole Strange and uh, and Wano are even going to play or not. But defensively, I think they have a chance to be pretty special. And I, it's weird that people don't realize this yet, that, well, their defense was third in DVOA last year, easier schedule. But they they kind of crushed the draft. And there's a real... There's a real vibe coming from this team on the defensive front. I know you're wired in on this, but could you smell it? Can you feel it? Yeah, I think, look, you know, it's funny how perception rules the day. They're driving in to, to beat Cincinnati in that game where they fell behind. Remember this one? And then they yeah. come back and Stevenson fumbles. The crazy play against Las Vegas. If you take those two plays and just re and some of the other crazy stuff, but just limit it to those two, they're going to make the playoffs. Right? Yeah. I mean, and that's with, in spite of all the problems they had, losing to Chicago on Monday night, dis disgusting. But that Chicago game motivated them in the draft. They know they had a bit better team speed. They'd have to play quarterbacks who could move better. The kid from Sac State, you know, is really going to be a good Mayfu. He's going to be really good. I mean, really good. He played the other night, and he's, a, he's really going to be a good player. And he'll play within the system and in their scheme. He's communicating the, the calls. You know, look, it's going to come down to they got to be able to protect. Their offensive line is in transition right now. That's going to take the month of September to get that going. But if Jones protects the football and doesn't do stupid things and just manages the game and they run it, they can be an effective team. Like, I don't see why they can't. They're going to get better as the year goes on. Like, I don't doubt Belichick's going to make the team better. Plus, I think the team's, as you mentioned, I think the team's mentally tough. They have a 2001 Pats-ish vibe in the following respect. I think they're going to ask the offense, just don't fuck the game up for us. Yeah. We can win this game on defense. And the other thing is the special teams is going to be really good. Special teams was awful last year. They're the worst yeah. punter in the league. Uh, yeah. And this year, the punters, every punt is in the air for five, six seconds. They have a great yeah. kick returner. They also drafted a kicker who everybody likes. But I think the special teams is going to be a real asset. 
Yeah, I love that. I love Asante Samuel when he came out and said that Brady's won all the Super Bowls for the Patriots. So my question to Asante would be, <laughs> in, in the game against the Rams, how many yards did Brady throw for? The oh, Super God. Bowl win. I don't, he, in the second half, I don't even think he threw for 50 yards. Well, let me set the record straight. It, it, and I think Brady's great. I got two Super Bowl rings because he's the greatest quarterback of all time. So I'm not disputing yeah. that. But it takes a partnership. They threw for 134 yards. They rushed right. for 133. Like it takes three elements of the team to work together. And I think that that's what the Patriots have to do to, to defeat the schedule. They've got to be, like you said, better in the kicking game, better protecting the football and not do stupid things with the ball, trying to lateral back. It was right. very unlike Belichick last year. I agree. It was, it was a bummer. And it was the whole season. We were saying this over and over again. It's like, what is, this is the most unbelichick team I've ever watched. Then you go through the rest of the teams. We don't know what's going to happen with Miami. They're already banged up. Who knows with Tua? Jets, who knows if they're going to be able to block? And then Buffalo, I just, from a talent standpoint, I just don't think people, I think people seem to rate them at a certain level talent-wise when they're at a different level. They have Josh. So if your argument with them is like, they have Josh Allen. They're going to go 10 and 7 every year because they have Josh Allen. I don't have a counter. But you can't yeah. tell me like they're loaded all over the ball because they're not. Yeah, I mean, they paid that Oliver like he's a top 10 defensive lineman. He had two and a half sacks last year. Right. And he's a nickel rusher. Like, okay, come on, I get it. And Von Miller, are we sure he's still good? I, I mean, he was good at point Major injury last year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so like, uh, look, the, the one thing is they've been New England's kryptonite. Since that win game, yeah. New England hasn't really come back to beat them. So until New England can step up, they won't be able to beat them. We are supported by NFL Sunday Ticket on YouTube and YouTube TV. And if you're a displaced fan like I am, proud Bostonian, living in Los Angeles for the last two decades plus, can't believe it. NFL Sunday Ticket, an absolute must-have. And now that it's on YouTube and YouTube TV, it's easier than ever to keep up with all your favorite teams' games on Sunday. I'm excited for the four box. So that in week one, the Pats are playing the late game. And I'm going to be watching four games at once in their four bucks on, uh, on Sunday. So it'll be 10 o'clock Pacific time. Here are the choices. Texans, Ravens, probably not going to be one. Bengals, Browns. If I was the czar of the four box, which honestly, they should just hire me and make it. Bengals, Browns would be one of the four. Bucks, Vikes, no. Titans, Saints, I think makes it for me because I, I really like this. Titans team as a possible AFC South team. I'd want to watch them. I want to see the Saints. So there's two. Panthers, Falcons, probably not. Jaguars, Colts. Yeah, I want to see Richardson. I think he makes one of the four TVs for me. And then the last one would be 49ers, Steelers, which is uh, a no-brainer. That's the best game of the early days. So I would have 49ers, Steelers, Richardson, um, Titans, Saints, Bengals, Browns. That's a nice four box. Put me in charge, YouTube TV. Thanks to NFL Sunday Ticket on YouTube and YouTube TV for sponsoring this segment. Truly the best place to keep up with all your favorite teams out of market Sunday afternoon games. Right now, you can get $50 off your subscription when you sign up at youtube.com slash BS. That is youtube.com slash BS. Terms and blackout restrictions apply. Offer ends September 19th. Let's talk about your book. So how many, how many years did you spend on this? Well, I think it's been like a lot of time. I, 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 start, I started this when I got on the team bus in San Francisco and Walsh was doodling Clark Shaughnessy plays. And I wondered who the hell Clark Shaughnessy was. 
So I, I would say most of my career, I've been thinking about this and watching it. And I've had moments where I had no respect for some of the older players, too arrogant to think that they could play today, which is completely wrong. And I wanted to kind of set the record straight from my own way. Uh, I remember doing an interview with Steve Sable and I completely dismissed Johnny Unitas. And, I, and after I, I thought about it, I went back, I watched it and I just was like, you're an idiot. You really are. Like, don't be like that. And I think that's what this book's about. So you lay out all these different things about football and then ultimately you have your like hundred most hundred greatest, most memorable players that you split into some sections. When I did this with my basketball book, it was way easier because we had five positions. The stats were a little easier to compare and you could figure out like, oh, it's the sixties, the points were askew and all these. This is like so much harder. Where like how do you compare receivers pre-1990 to receivers post-1990? <laughs> How do you compare, you know, the, you, the careers that lasted seven, eight years, then somebody would get hurt and that was it. They were done versus the guys now who can play 15, 17 years. So it, for you, it just kind of jumped out like there was just some sort of greatness vibe that you kind of centered on, right? Yeah. And I think the rules, you know, the way we, like today, like today, the NFL is really hard on defenses. They've shifted the rules so much that it's hard to play defense. You have to be simple on defense. You can't be overly complicated. Back in the 60s, the 50s, the rules favored the defense. So you had to be simple on offense. I mean, yeah. in, the, in, 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 the, in the champion nice bowl, I mean, Starr got sacked 13 times. I mean, could you imagine what talk radio would have done to Lombardi if he got sacked? Oh, my God, they would have killed him. But when you have to block like this in pass protection, how the fuck can you block anybody, right? So you have to kind of weigh the rules into it, too, and, and, and kind of flavor that in. And then as you watch the game today, like the best guy for me is like Buckus. People say, well, Buckus couldn't play today because he can't cover anybody, right? Oh, but they wouldn't ask him to cover anybody. He'd be the blitzer. Yeah. He would be Makai. He would be Parsons. He would just come. He'd line up wherever you wanted to move him around and say, okay, go get the quarterback. And he would and just wreak havoc. Right. And he'd wreak havoc. He might drop to a zone like Parsons does, but you're not going to ask him to cover. So I think we're just a little bit too hard on some of these players. And I, and I tried to try to do it. And then I really wanted to talk about the coaches. You know, yeah. I feel like, the coaches, we're all from some tree. We're all, we all learned the game some way. And one of the issues that I had in my career was I saw the game a certain way. And when I worked for somebody who didn't see it that way, I wasn't as good as if I worked for somebody who saw it the way I was brought up. So you are a product of your environment. It's your childhood that kind of develops you as a coach. Well, I like to you sprinkled in. I mean, there's so much history. Part of the problem with football, I think we do a better job with it in basketball. In football, because of fantasy, because of gambling, and because it's so much fun, the 14 hours every Sunday. I really do feel like we just go forward, forward, forward with football, and we rarely go backwards, yeah. right? Like you you had in your top 100, Kenny Washington was the first guy. I would say like, probably nobody knows who that is. Nobody knows and if who you know is. about him, like you actually did some work, and this was this legendary UCLA player, UCLA player who's black. He was there with Jackie Robinson. It was just like just you know, the school gets struck by lightning twice with these two incredible athletes, yeah. but it's a different era and he doesn't have the career he should have had. It's a little similar to Connie Hawkins in the NBA, but when you started out with that, I was like, oh, he really put the time in on this one. Yeah, well, because I, I felt like, you know, you wouldn't have football in Los Angeles if it wasn't for Kenny Washington because yeah. the, the city council demanded that they have black players. It broke the color barrier in, in football. If the city council didn't tell the, the Cleveland Browns who are re relocating to become the Cleveland Rams or the Cleveland team that relocated there, uh, 
then you there's no chance you would have had football. And so they made them have African-American players on the team. Kenny Washington, it was washed up at this point with two bad knee injuries. Right. That's like Connie Hawkins. He comes in the league. He's already kind of washed up. And then the league started. That's what happened. It took it really it took till you talk about a, a, a doomed franchise. Washington's had two of the worst owners in the history of sports. I mean, Preston Marshall wouldn't let anybody in any black player in until Bobby Mitchell in 61 or 62. He's in the Hall of Fame, by the way. How? I don't know. Yeah. And then, of course, they had the great Daniel Snyder or the lack of great Daniel Snyder. So I, I think that's really important to understand how you got football in Los Angeles and what had to happen. And I don't think a lot of people know that story. What the league does a bad job of is honoring, like the Coach of the Year Award should be called the Paul Brown Award. It should be an honor to Paul Brown. They you don't know, the like combine. to go backwards, though. With that, like the NBA, like really loves to go backwards. I mean, they, they bring were, the guys back the all the time. They wore the Bill Russell logo. It was brilliant. Yeah. It was great. It, I mean, that's what you should do. You know, if you don't look at your past, like, you know, and, and I'm talking about going all the way back. I mean, poor Clark Shaughnessy. We wouldn't have the forward pass if it wasn't for him. And he yeah. can't even get a sniff into the Hall of Fame. Right. You had that story about Buck Cannon on the Chiefs and how he was the first pick in the AFL, but he was in the 19th round in the <laughs> NFL. And it was like, and part of the reason, it's not like the AFL was... You know, this wasn't like Martin Luther King as the AFL commissioner. It was an advantage for them. They were trying to beat the NFL and get as many yep. good players as they could. So they saw the potential in, in grabbing all types of people. It was very similar to the ABA against the NBA, where they're like, you know what? Well, you don't even have to finish graduating college. Come here now. And yeah, it was like, yeah. this is this is an advantage. We don't have a lot of advantages, but it's just... It's just crazy to think in the 60s that a guy could be the first pick in one league and a 19th rounder in the other league because that's how the other league looked at black players. Yeah, no question. And, and Al Davis was a proponent of that. They scouted those. And, and remember now, you know, colleges weren't letting black guys in. So the, the SWAC and those schools were really had great players. Willie Lanier, they couldn't get into these schools, you know, yeah. because they weren't welcomed. And so we don't talk enough about that. I think we need to, you know, we really do. And and I think that that's really important. And, and I think people don't understand that, what the AFL NFL rivalry was. I mean, Al Davis talked about it, but you know, he's the commissioner of the AFL and he's and he's going to bust the NFL. The AFL, they had a rule in the AFL and the NFL that the that they would not sign veteran players, that they the veteran players, if the, the team wanted the veteran, you had them. But the Bills went ahead and violated that and they signed Pete Gogolak, the kicker. So that so Al Davis declared they went to the mattresses. Al yeah. Davis went. To, I mean, he was cooking <laughs> in the room. He was adding sugar to the to the gravy, right? He was like Clemenza. He went to the mattresses, okay, and he starts signing Roman Gabriel. He signed. He signed uh, the quarterback at at San Francisco. He was signing every all these players, you know, the John Brody, and and meanwhile he's doing this. And Tex Ram and Lamar and Lamar Hunt are at the Dallas Love Field negotiating the settlement and getting the settlement to the AFL NFL and the merger which pissed off Al. He was the commissioner and he wasn't involved in any of that. So that hatred with the Chiefs carried over for a long, long term. And you, now yeah. you understand why. To me, that's all important part of the history of the league. Al Davis was like, Mikey, why don't you tell that girl you love her? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, whenever I would tell him that, you know, I, I can still remember the day I walked to his office and said, oh, we, I, I think I can get Randy Moss from Minnesota. That's the, well, the best receiver. We oh, Don't you fucking tell me. Lance Lance, Lance Allworth was the greatest receiver ever. Like, he right. loved I mean, Lance Allworth was a big him, winner in your book. Oh, he's great. I mean, he's tremendous. I mean, the you know, 
I think to me, those guys that were making, because remember now, you to get open in the back then, you had to get away from press coverage. The corners were huge. Well, like, and if you hard. went over the middle, you were going to get decapitated. That get was killed. the other piece. You're going to get killed. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. The, couple things from your book. You had yeah. a you had all Marino part. Now, as you know, for me, at, in the moment at the time, Marino and Elway to me were like same plane, yeah. right? And then Elway gets that little bonus of Terrell Davis and Shannon Sharp in the 97-98 team and wins the two Super Bowls. So now Elway's above Marino, and he should be because he got the Bulls. But um, you wrote how when a team has someone as gifted as Marino, it becomes easy to put on everything on his shoulders. As John Madden often said, a great quarterback becomes a deodorant for all that ails the team, teams take the path of least resistance in every area, believing the great player can overcome any inadequacies. Miami's team building around Marino, not his play, cost him his Super Bowl. I totally agree with that. Like Marino not winning a Super Bowl to me is a team building catastrophe. Right. That was it. Yeah. And I hold him in the same esteem. Like I got yeah. Mon- Montana at the top, Elway. And then Marino, like right next to each other, yeah. Montana over them. But man, Marino, he should have won a Super Bowl. I don't hold it against him. Multiple. Same thing for Barkley. Barkley should have won, won an NBA title. Multiple. You know, it's, you know what people don't realize, Don Shula is the winningest coach in NFL history, and rightly so. And he's in my top 10 coaches. He, they went four years with Marino without making the playoffs. Right. Four years. I mean, like, how does that? He would have been fired today. You go Not even years. in a good division. Not even, and you know, meanwhile, Belichick doesn't make the playoffs and he's on the hot seat. Meanwhile, Ron Rivera, he's suntanning over here. Nobody gives him any, you know, nobody's worried about him. It's right. just, to me, it's a different, uh, Marino, I think the story I tell about Marino in the book about how he got really screwed by a local newspaper and they put out a lot of bad rumors that even his agent, Marvin Demoff, couldn't clamp down, yeah. you know, and, and for all those quarterbacks to go against him, I don't think there's been a better thrower of the football than Dan Marino. I, I call him Danny. I mean, I could watch him all day long. And I was at the game. This shows you, I was, we played them in my, in Cleveland. He, he, he throws a pass and he reaches down and this is the game. He rips his Achilles and he limps off. And I think, Oh my God, thank God. He's not going to play anymore. I didn't want him to be hurt. And in comes Scott Mitchell. He throws an interception to uh, uh, Mustafa for a touchdown. And I think, Oh God. And then of course we lose that game anyway, but that was the last play he ever had. I mean, it was sad to watch him. I mean, I saw Jurgensen walk off the field. I've seen him walk off the field, but you're right. He, there's no way he should be that far away from anybody, but he doesn't have the titles. I also think he's a, uh, I, if he had come along 20 years later with the, how the rules changed, oh my God. he's at least paid Manning. Oh yeah, I mean he's so smart at the line. I mean, like in the eighties, nineties, you you get the shit kicked out of you, right? If you played fifteen years, it was a miracle. Um, Yeah, like this 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 trend that you have to move and make a second play. Dan Marino didn't need a second play. No, he didn't need a second play. He was unbelievable. You wrote, uh, you were writing about quarterbacks. The three things to look for: level one, can the quarterback throw the ball through the door? Level two, can the quarterback hit the doorknob? Level three, can the quarterback throw the ball through the keyhole? That was your Rogers case for what, right. what stood Rogers out. I right. liked how you put that though. I think it, I think you should add level zero, Mitch Trubisky. He can <laughs> he can successfully field the snap. I think level <laughs> level zero. <laughs> the snaps can work every time. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean that that's the look. How many games have you watched? I can still remember 
some Peyton Manning playing playing Baltimore in Baltimore, and he's got a third and four. And if he punts it back, Baltimore's going to win the game. And Dallas Clark is as covered as you can be, and he puts the ball in the only place it could be, and it's a first right. down, win the game. But it's a play that kind of doesn't get enough attention. Uh, you had John Hanna, 30th, mm-hmm. who is the best guard of all time. Yeah. And I it seems like and a, it's around the right ranking, but you could also make a really good case that he's still the greatest offensive lineman ever. My favorite John Hanna stat, 183 ga- games played, 183 games started. <laughs> the guy was just, you just, we plugged him in for like the entire 70s and 80s, basically. And he was the best at all times. He had Redwoods for for legs. I mean, I you know, it's funny. My initial top, I had him higher. And I talked to a people in the I relied on some of the people in the league that studied the, the, this time. And they said, you know, it, 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 the pass blocking might have been a problem today. I, I right. moved And he's down. a guard. If he was like tackles, is more valuable down, than guard. But I, I love watching him play. I love watching him play. He was an amazing guy. So you had Munoz as your greatest offensive lineman. I never saw his uniform dirty, Bill. I mean, the guy never got dirty. You imagine he pitched at USC. Could you imagine being a batter in the in the batter's box Jesus. at USC and having him wear that little hat on his big head and he's going to throw a fastball down the plate? Like, I, I, I don't know if I'd stay in the box. You had Sanders over Emmett. I'm not going to spoil the whole book. Just a couple of things that yeah. jumped out. Did you at least like think about that one or you just had Sanders? You just felt like he levitated above everyone. I, I mean, I think Sanders paid a price for where he got drafted. I really do. You put Sanders on Dallas. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Like I, I've never seen anybody like Sanders. Like I, you know, the guy who's like I just watched it. I just was watching it before we started. Tyree Kill, first play of the Jacksonville game. He's not covered. I don't know why, but he's not. And Tua throws a softball to him, and like literally, it takes about an hour to get to him. He's wide open, and it gets to him. And all of a sudden, he pivots and turns, and Tyree kills at instant speed initially. Right. Like, and he and he outruns everybody who has an angle on him. And that quickness that he has reminds me of Sanders. Like, I, I rarely see that kind of quickness. But Hill has quickness and speed. You still have Hill as your number one receiver. But I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I scared to death. I, mean, I like, like your case. <laughs> it's the Steph Curry case. He just, he changes how everyone else Everybody is regarded is. in the game. Watch that play. Just watch that play. It's first play of the game, okay? He lobs it over there. And, and I'm just, I, st- I stopped the machine and I'm like, I don't want to argue with anybody anymore, but this is the best receiver in football. Like, nobody can do this. Nobody. I've had more Emmett versus Barry arguments than any other football argument, I think. And I get it. I just think for a big game, a big physical January yeah. playoff game, that is just going to be, everybody's going to be in an ice bath after. That's the running back I want. Right. I mean, look, some, and, and, a couple of the playoff games he had, I know his offensive line was awesome, but they were also going against like some of the best defenses of all time. So I felt like it evened out. And that dude, he was just four and a half yards of carry. And it didn't matter. You could have a 15-person box. He was getting yeah. five yards. Go back to what we started this whole podcast about. Believe in what you see and not listening. I mean, think about Emmett. Incredible production in high school, eight thousand yards at a right. Samba high school. I mean, then at Florida, for unbelievable. And all of a sudden, we're not going to believe he's going to be a good back. And when Jimmy took him, now if you go back and read the clips. Like, oh no, he's too slow. Like I talk about it in the book, my my good friend Jerry Angelo, who I love to death, he loved him, but he could, but he listened to everybody talk, tell him that he was going to be too slow. I don't want to spoil the book and I'm not going to say the top five, but you had Ronnie Lott sixth and I gasped. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I'm in. 
Right? <laughs> <laughs> Easily the best safety I've ever seen. That guy was just oh my God. unlike anybody I, I've ever watched play football. You could accuse me of bias on him. I don't know if I saw a better player. I don't know if I've seen a better all-around teammate, motivator, winner, uh, and tough guy. I mean, it was he played corner too. Probably remember? like the closest to not to compare anyone to Russell, but right. for football, if you're going to say, all right, who had the most Russell-like qualities for leadership, invincibility, mm-hmm. yeah. fear of the other team, um, steadiness, um, ability to rise to the occasion in big games. He he yeah. probably checked the most Russell boxes. He's unbelievable. And, and you you know, it's funny. When I tell the story in the book, when we drafted Tim McHire, Ray Rhodes said to me, uh, we were all worried about Tim McHire tackling, which was a concern. And Ray Rhodes said, Ronnie will get him to tackle. He won't go in the huddle and face Ronnie not tackling. That, right. That's powerful. That's powerful. When you've got a player that good that can change everybody else's play like Russell. Well, and also he was such a leader that they had that game when he was playing against Charles Haley's team in uh in in Dallas and Charles Haley was having one of his freak out moments <laughs> and tried to fight Trey Aikman, they couldn't calm him down. And the only way they could calm him down was to go to the other locker room to get Ronnie Lott to bring him over to calm yeah. Charles Haley down. And I was like, Well, that's a leader. You're not even on yeah. his team. And you're the only all right, here's the big one. This is the thing that made me the angriest, and then we'll go. I thought anyone Especially you, Gronk, you had 61. You had 61st. He's the best uh, tight end I've uh, ever seen. You know how important he was to those Pats teams. He was the best blocking tight end of the modern era. He was the most dangerous pass-catching tight end, probably of the the modern era, and an incredible big game player. And my feelings were hurt, Lombardi. I think, well, I, I mean, look, I, I love Gronk. Uh, you know, the injury factor, I think, was concerning. You know, I mean, he missed some time with that. He wasn't like John Hanna, 183 for 183. Right. You know, but that being said, you know, it's funny. I put a guy in the top 100 who's not in the Hall of Fame, Ron Kramer, who was the first version of Gronk. Yeah. I mean, the, guy's, the guy was Gronk before Gronk. And so, I, I mean, I could, you could argue that. I, I Look, I love Gronk. He probably maybe deserves to be up another thing. I just felt like there's other guys that you kind of went through. I mean, like, I'm sure I'm going to catch shit for not putting Patrick Mahomes in my top 100. Well, I felt like he needed more of a career. I think think Gronk will age better. This is today. I think Gronk will age better. I think the players are like wine. Do they age really well? And I think they will. He will age better as we go forward. Some guys don't age as well. There's been some basketball players that that's happened to where they've aged nicely. Um, you didn't have T.O. in there, right? Uh, I think I did, yeah. I'm pretty oh, sure you I did? did. Yeah, so t- yeah. I always felt like with T.O., he's going to age, the stats are going to age great, and every year we get away from what a the fucking disaster he was to have on your team. But his, his catch per ratio, like I don't think we talk enough about that. Touchdown to catches. Yeah. T.O. was really good in that area. He got the ball. What's the job of receiver? Catch it, run with it, and score touchdowns. And, like, those guys, like, he could do it. Here's my case for Gronk, just quickly. And this is how I think you know somebody's truly great. If somebody is compared to, to let's say, Gronk, like you're watching a game and the announcer is like, hey, hey, coming up, they're showing a replay, like Pat Fryermuth, who is a good player. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, watch Pat. Just remind you of Rob Gronkowski 
and I'm on my couch like, stop. No, you're not allowed. Mm -hmm. They do this with Lawrence Taylor all the time where they compare yeah. people to Lawrence Taylor. It's like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Do but not compare think, people to Lawrence Taylor. Stop. I, I think Gronk will age better. I think he will. I think, I think the more data we, the more the further away from Gronk we get, the better he'll age. I, I, I'm sure of that. That's how I feel. I just don't think we're seeing another tight end like him. Right, because okay, like I just did the blue chips, red chip tight ends on my pod. There's no, there's nobody lines up on the line of scrimmage anymore. Like right. you got Kittle, you got Firemuth, and you got Dallas Goddard. Like don't be, don't don't even insult me and tell me Kyle Pitts is a tight end. He's not. Or don't Kelsey. tell me, yeah. or Kelsey, or Ingram, who just got a contract. Like those those guys are not tight ends. They're they're big Fs. Now they they're valuable. Don't get me wrong, but. I think probably where where your argument is valid is is because they are a dying breed. The line on the line why they probably just because there was a time where they you had to be an on the line why Ditka, Mackie, those guys. Well, the guy the Raiders took isn't he a potential three down tight end? It sure is. Yeah, he's an old school tight end. Michael and Fryer Moose, yeah. an old school Goddard. So there's still some of those guys, but, but, the, but I think Hunter Henry can be like that if he stays on the field. If he stays, if, but look at the value. I mean, Meyer went, I thought when I saw Meyer play at Notre Dame, I thought he was going to be a top 10 pick mm. for the same reasons you're talking about Gronk. And then he didn't have a great senior year. And I just watched him today against Dallas. And I'm like, yeah, that guy's going to be really good. I felt like Gronk was Shaq. I've said this before. Like he was officiated differently <laughs> because physically he was so dominant compared to everybody trying to defend him that they just let everybody commit interference on him. Because yeah. it didn't I seem mean, he, fair. It's like he's six six, running a four five forty. When he had those white gloves on, they looked like two toilet seats catching the ball. Like seriously, it was like these huge hands that would just like Unbelievable. you're right. I mean, he is. I mean, but well, maybe in the paperback, you might nudge him up in the paperback and get him in like fifty two. <laughs> When's the book come out? September fifth. And what's the title? It's called the uh, Football Done Right. All right. You can hear Mike Lombardi on the GM Shuffle podcast as well, and you can. Uh, you can see him. You're on Vincent. You're they're they're Vincent. working you pretty hard over there. They do. It's good. Yeah. I, you know. I. You know. You know. I don't bet, and I love it. I just to me, it's like I'm handicapping. Like I worked in the league. You're just breaking teams down. It's kind of fun. It really is. I gotta say, I I might have been the person who tried to teach you. <laughs> yeah, you did. In the you mid did. 2010s, you literally didn't understand one aspect. Like not even the point spread. I don't think you understood. <laughs> no, it was weird. You were the only Italian who didn't understand how a point spread worked. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I did. Yeah, so I, I I'm proud when I hear you rattling off uh, futures and props now. And yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, look at Lombardi. Uh, good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Good luck with the book. Uh, anytime. Thank you. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks so much to Lombardi. Thanks to Kyle Creighton and Steve Cerruti as well. Don't forget, new rewatchables coming Monday night, The Equalizer. Oh, yeah. And I will be back on this feed on Tuesday. And then Thursday, part one of the big two-part preview extravaganza with Cousin Sal. So that is the schedule for this week. Enjoy the rest of the day. I will see you on the rewatchables on Monday and on this podcast on Tuesday.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 